We're going back just a little bit. I skipped this story and I had a reason for it. I'll explain it in a second. But this is Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is early in the church's life. This comes on the heels of the church sharing their stuff, building each other up, making sure everybody was taken care of. And then we come here to Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So that word also is there because in the verses just before this, Barnabas sold some of his property and gave all the money to the church. And that really kick-started Barnabas's journey to becoming a great man of God. Okay. So Ananias and Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You haven't lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard about what had happened. And then some young men came forward. They wrapped up his body and they carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they're going to carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in, finding her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. In great fear, seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You remember Buster preached a few weeks ago and he preached about giving. You should give to the church and the benefit to your faith, how that grows your faith if you give to the church. And this was supposed to be the sermon right after that one. But it felt a little bit too on the nose. You know, the sermon after giving to do the sermon about the people who didn't give and got struck dead. So uh, we decided to space it out just a little bit, okay? Although watch out. For the record, I don't think this passage is actually about giving. I think it's about lying, actually, is what I think it's about. And the reason I think that is because of what the passage itself says in the context of this scene where they withhold and lie about what they're giving versus not giving, okay? Giving was absolutely important in the early church. I, I don't want to diminish the value of giving. And I agree with Buster wholeheartedly that giving to the body of Christ grows our faith and that each of us should be doing it. So they took giving seriously in the early church. They gave radically and abundantly, but not forcefully. Nobody was standing there in the early, or you know, beside the early disciples making them give more money. Nobody's doing that to the early disciples. In fact, look at this. Look at what's said in Acts chapter 5, verse 4. Didn't it, the land, belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? In other words, not us. You know, there, there is this weird thing in our faith that at some level, all of our belongings belong to God, and yet they're you, yours 
to use as you see fit. Both of those things are true. And that's what the disciples are saying. Hey, this was yours. We didn't make you bring this money and give it to us. But this is the problem. Look at this. Verses 3 and 4. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You haven't lied just to human beings. You've lied to God. Why do we lie? You ever think about that? Why do we lie? You know, lying is one of the few sins that requires somebody else to do it. It requires community to lie, doesn't it? There are other sins you can do by yourself. There's some sins you can do just in your head. But lying requires communicating with somebody else, whether that's spoken communication or written communication. Lying is a sin that only makes sense in the context of a community. And that's what we see happening here is lying entering the community of Christ. So why do we lie? Well, think about it. Given that lying takes place in the context of community, we lie because we want the community to see us in a certain way. We might say, in short, that we want those around us to have confidence in us and trust us, so we lie. You ever think about that? Why else do you do it? You want to be impressive. You want to be reliable. You want them to have confidence in you. And so you're tempted to do the one thing that actually loses all of those, which is to lie. And I've been tempted to do the same. Let me show you this picture. I want you to think about this with me. This is a picture of Roberto Rojas. He was the Chilean goalkeeper on the Chilean World Cup team. This is in the late 80s, early 90s. He was the captain of the team. He was known as El Condor, El Condor. And so this is a qualifying match. This photo is taken from a qualifying match for the 1990 World Cup. Now, to be clear, this is a part of the world that takes soccer much more seriously than we do here, okay? Soccer is life and death in this part of the world. Chile and Brazil are arch rivals, always have been. And leading up to this qualifying match for the World Cup, there's been a couple of intense rivalries. The newspapers are reporting all these terrible things about the other teams. I mean, this is about as tense as it gets coming into this game. And so Rojas, before the game, he gathers his fellow teammates in the Chilean locker room together, and they make a vow that they are going to do whatever it takes to win this game and not disappoint their fans. And so at that moment, Rojas, he claims, the rest of his team didn't know about this, at that moment, he slips a razor blade into his sock. He said he didn't know why he was doing it. He just thought he might need it. So late in the game, Chile is down one to zero. And a flare is shot off from the stands and lands on the field just behind Rojas. You see that right there? Rojas hits the deck, his hands go to his face, and when he pulls his hands away from his face, his face is covered in blood. So the Chilean team rushes to their captain, they lift him up, they carry him off the field, and in protest, they refuse to go back out onto the pitch, the field, to play the rest of the match. They refuse to do it, they demand a rematch, they say this thing's been rigged, people are trying to hurt them from the stands, it's obvious they refuse to go back out there. Okay, the problem is this picture appears in the Brazilian newspaper the next day, where the flare lands where? Behind him. How was his face 
cut by a flare that landed behind him. Uh, the Soccer Federation launches this investigation into him. Eventually, it's even a criminal investigation. And finally, after lying about it for months and months and months, he finally reveals that at the moment the flare landed beside him, well, let me just read it to you. <clears throat> I turn my head left, and I see a light falling, and there was a lot of smoke. And that was when, in a matter of seconds, I said, well, here it is. It all happened in a thousandth of a second. If I had thought about it for a minute, maybe I would have done nothing. But in an instant, I was wrapped up in something that everyone had believed had actually happened. And that was when I decided something had to be steering me internally at that moment. Because in a matter of seconds, it was leading me to want to take advantage of a moment that felt impossible. So he finally reveals that at that moment, he went to the ground, grabbed that razor blade, and cut his own face. Now, that story, I think, connects with the Ananias and Sapphira story in a couple of ways. And the first is that when we prepare to deceive, we will. Every time. When we prepare to deceive, we will. Let me just talk about one arena in which we do that. Think about what happens on our cell phones. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a story about somebody who changed the name of somebody in their cell phone so that if their spouse or loved one picked up their phone and read their text messages or saw their calls, they wouldn't be suspicious. Or I think about our young people. You know, we live in this era where parents can track their kids' devices. Praise God they didn't have that when I was growing up. <laughs> but I think about our young people. And I think about the times they conveniently turn off their phones. Right? Maybe they don't have plans to do something they're going to regret, but when we prepare to deceive, what are we going to do? We're going to do it. We're going to do it every time in a matter of seconds. And secondly, this story connects because the consequences when we, sin are, when we sin by lying or deceiving are always greater than we think. For Rojas, he was banned from soccer for life. And the Chilean team was banned from that year's World Cup and the World Cup four years later, which meant basically that a whole generation of Chilean football players did not get to play in the most important football games of their lives. Soccer games. I know it's confusing. <clears throat> but think about that. In that split second, when he's making that decision to grab the razor blade and cut his face, he is not anticipating that this means he will never play soccer again and none of his closest friends will ever get to play in the most important matches of their life. He's not thinking about that. But when we deceive and lie, the consequences are always greater than we think. But I think it connects to us in a third way. <clears throat> Did you hear that Rojas said that at that moment it was like something was steering him internally? Did you hear that? Isn't that kind of an interesting way of talking about our decision to lie, like something made me do it? Well, look again what Peter says to Ananias. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You haven't just lied to human beings, but to God. I think if you were to ask Peter, why do we lie? He would say, yeah, it's because we want to impress the community. But he would say the real reason we lie is Satan. 
You give him this door into your heart, and the way he'll use that is lying. I was reading about this passage, and one of the scholars I was reading said that it's really interesting if you read through Acts that this is the first internal threat that the church faces. Up until this point, every other threat has been external. So the church has been given this job of witnessing to the name of Jesus to all the world, and they keep running into opposition or persecution from the outside. So the Jews don't like him, don't like what they're saying, want him to stop and arrest him and persecute him. Eventually the Romans are going to do the same thing. He says, those are all external threats. This is the first internal threat the church faces. But I actually don't think that's right. I think Peter would say that even this is an external threat. That when lying takes place in the body of Christ, it is because Satan has infiltrated this precious and sacred community. It's kind of like a Trojan horse situation. You remember this? Remember the Trojan War? Uh, the Greeks who are fighting the Trojans claim that they've lost. They sail away, all their ships sail away, and they leave this present, this giant wooden horse outside the walls of Troy. And the Trojans are like, this is great. They roll the big wooden horse in. They close the doors. They throw a party. And in the middle of the night, all the Greeks, including Odysseus, spill out of the Trojan horse and, and sack the city. You remember this? I, I, really, I really think that is a helpful parallel to what's happening here and the body of Christ, and what Peter sees really clearly is this Trojan horse in the form of this lie just being wheeled into the body of Christ. And he knows, and God knows, we cannot stand for this because this is none other than Satan himself coming in through the form of a simple lie to the church. Remember what Jesus says about Satan? Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He's a liar and the father of lies. The whole biblical story bears this out. How does his story start, Satan's? Well, it starts in the garden when he lies to Adam and Eve about what they need. You see it in the wilderness when Jesus is tempted, when he's out there fasting for 40 days. Who comes to him? Satan comes to him. And we're told that Satan tests him. That's the word that's used. Well, how does Satan test him? Do you remember? He lies to him. Makes him all these great promises that he can't fulfill. And look here, that same word is used. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? That language of testing, it's combative language. It's, 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 the, it's the language of conflict. And this, I mean, this is so striking to me. That Luke, who writes Acts, and Peter in his response to Ananias and Sapphira, they're using the language of kingdom combat. Combat. Good versus evil, Satan versus the spirit, Jesus versus his enemies, okay? Kingdom combat is taking place within the body of Christ in our conversations with each other in the hallway and what we say to each other. Satan is rising and falling here based on what we share with each other and what we don't. Think about that. You know, we tend to think about kingdom combat, the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of evil out there. I think about like a story from Hope Works of a young dad who's been incarcerated 
by the grace of Jesus, his life is turned around in prison through the ministry of some of you all. He's baptized. He, he gets a job when he gets out of prison and begins to provide for his family and be stable and to be a good dad and good role model. And we look at that and we think, man, that's an example of the kingdom of evil falling. Satan falling like lightning. And the kingdom of God advancing, and it is. Or, you know, we pray for this, and we see it sometimes when people who are divided in our world come together and we can't explain it except through the grace of Christ. And we say, man, that's the kingdom of evil falling and the kingdom of God advancing, and we love it. Or I think about our missionaries in Papua New Guinea, and they share these stories of preaching the gospel in these animistic voodoo tribes deep in the heart of the jungles of Papua New Guinea and people coming to Christ there and rejecting the witch doctor at great risk to themselves and families. And we celebrate that and we think the kingdom of God overcoming the kingdom of evil and all that's happening out there. And what Peter is saying is that same combat is happening right in here. That Satan would love nothing more than to infiltrate this body of Christ doing great work for his kingdom and destroy us by dishonesty. <clears throat> so think about this with me. Why do you think, why do you think Satan wants Christians to lie? Think about that. Why? I think there's two reasons. There's two reasons. If you're taking notes, you might write these down. The first is that if the community of Christ cannot be trusted, the message of Christ cannot be trusted. If the community of Christ cannot be trusted, the message of Christ cannot be trusted. This is what breaks my heart and at some level infuriates me. Every time some notable Christian leader falls and it's revealed that they're a charlatan and a liar and a fake. And of course, every news outlet jumps on this and shares that story and I know that every Christian leader is a human. I am too. And yet I also see every time this happens that what is damaged is the message. That the message can't be trusted. The other night, my boys and I, we watched Pinocchio. You know, the new Pinocchio. And it's good. And Pinocchio is all about this boy, this wooden boy. Every time he lies, what happens? His, his nose grows. I was thinking about the church the whole time that happened. These falls from grace of these celebrity pastors. It's like the, the world is looking at this little wooden boy, wondering if this boy is alive, and they keep seeing his nose grow. Why would they trust us? That's why Satan wants lying in the body of Christ. I mean, remember the whole, the whole story of Acts is about how the people of God Bear the good news of Jesus' witness in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How they share this message, that's the whole point. That's the whole purpose. That's what you and I have been born and baptized into, this responsibility to share the news of Jesus. And every time we lie, that message is compromised. And that's why God's response to the first lie in the body of Christ is as severe as it gets. He knows that if these people are going to fulfill his purposes that he has set out for them, for the salvation of the world, he cannot tolerate 
Satan's influence through dishonesty in the body of Christ. He won't tolerate it. Last week, we preached about the endurance of the church, how the endurance of the church over 2,000 years is confirmation that God is with us. Well, sometimes the faithfulness of God is severe. And were it not, we might not be here. But the second reason, why else would it be a victory for Satan if we lied? And if you're a note taker and you got your Bible open, I want you to get ready here. What scripture tells us is that we access the healing grace of Jesus personally when we are honest with one another. And that when we are not, as impossible as it may seem to realize this, when we are not honest with one another, we hold at bay the grace and healing of Jesus Christ. We hold it back. This is James 5.16. If you're a note taker, write this down by Acts 5 here. James 5.16, just write that down. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. There's not a lot of simple formulas in Scripture this is about as simple as it gets. If you desire to be healed, tell somebody and let them pray for you. Don't keep it in. I was reading a book recently. It's called The Gravity of Joy. It's by a woman named Angela Williams Gorell. Um, great book. She tells the story of this young woman who right at about the time of adulthood, she makes this decision that she can't take back, a permanent decision. She's so ashamed of the decision. And so she flees from all the people who love her in her life. And she runs off. She's got nothing. She's destitute. And so eventually she takes up with this man who promises her great things, but all he really ends up doing is using her, abusing her, and exploiting her. She's exposed to various substances, becomes addicted. She wants to leave this man who's oppressed her and abused her, but he's providing the substances that she's come to rely on with all of herself, and so she can't leave him. And she's caught up in this vicious cycle, and she tells about the multiple times caught up under the thumb of this man that she wanted to go back to the people who she knew were still there, people that she knew would love her and receive her, but her shame kept her from going. She knew she would have to tell what had happened, and she just couldn't bring herself to do it. And she said these words, and if you're a note taker, write this down. She said, secrets keep us sick. Secrets keep us sick. Man, is that true? Why would Satan want you to be dishonest? Why would Satan want you to keep the truth inside rather than sharing it? Because Satan knows, maybe better than any of us, that if you will confess and be honest that the grace of Jesus Christ will be poured into your heart and that you can be healed and freed and forgiven. And that is a loss to Satan. It is a win for the Father and a loss for him. And so my prayer for you is that is that this would be a place where you can be honest. We're going to wrap up here. I'm going to be down front. If you've got something on your heart you want to share, I'll receive it. If there's shepherds in the room, if you would come down front too and receive those who want to come forward, I ask you to do that. If you want to give your life to Jesus in baptism, you could do that 
today. If there's something on your heart you need to share to be healed, I pray you'll do it today. Let me pray over you. God, would you keep Satan away from us? Would you make this place, a place that belongs to you, a place that is yours, a place and a people who can share with one another and be healed by the grace of your son, Jesus? Would you protect our message, God, which is your message? Make us powerful witnesses to the name of Jesus Christ in this world. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.